0: Welcome to Black Insight, the global news and current affairs podcast about Black people by Black people. I'm Sonia Fode.
1: I am um, Mokta Kane. I am Malian, uh, born and raised uh, uh, in uh, West Africa. I would say Um, I am a stabilization uh, practitioner, um, and I spend my time basically helping. Uh, government and other public and private institutions translate divisions into meaningful solutions. I have all an MPhil um, in Development Studies and also an um, Honours in Sociology and a BA in Languages and Literature.
0: One of the things that you do is that you're a Youth Ambassador for Peace. Can you tell us a little bit about that role and what it entails?
1: That's correct. Well, the Youth Ambassador for Peace is a a flagship initiative from the African uh, Union and which intended, first and foremost, um, uh, last year uh, in 2018, uh, basically the African Union Commission um, was mandated to appoint five uh, youth ambassadors, basically one for each of the regions of the African continent, north, south, west, east, and centre uh, with the purpose that they will work very closely uh, with the Peace and Security Department of the African Union and in close collaboration with the African Youth Envoy to uh, promote, advocate, and engage uh, the youth population in the respective uh, region and increase their participation within all spectre of peace and security operations. So it was, was initiative that following that commissioning in 2019, it was a call for applications and a number of us applied and the lucky ones, um, you know, equally, all the applicants, I would say were quite very solid. Um, we happened to be lucky uh, to be selected to represent um, our, our youth in, in respecting in our respective regions and now we are basically who that functions
0: so how do you work in mali as as a youth ambassador
1: for peace well the the situation with um the covid impact uh meant that of course a lot of work has been quite uh restricted here um in Mali and in Sonia but however still uh, my majority of my work really is through number one continuing with my daily work basically which is uh, engaging uh, with uh, my fellow youth not just in in Mali but across uh, the, the West African um, uh, the the West African region but particularly in Mali is continuing to engage actively. This
0: is the moment Malian history changed again. The moment Ibrahim Boubacar Keita and his Prime Minister Boubou Sase were arrested by soldiers during a military coup on Tuesday, the 18th of August 2020. In 1968
1: 1991,
0: 2012 and now 2020, Mali has encountered several attempted coups and times where it seemed things could change. Could this attempt finally be the lucky one? The independence of Mali from France had people feeling optimistic about the future of the country. After eight years, there was a coup, which was then followed by 23 years of dictatorship. Then in 1991, there was a coup that led to the formation of the National Revolution Council, which paved the way for elections. So after 23 years, democracy had been restored. During the summer of 2012, jihadists occupied two-thirds of the country and France intervened to stop their southward advance. They overthrew the president, saying he was incompetent and unable to deal with division in the country, in the north and south. In 2013, there was a new leader, Ibrahim Boubacar Keita. So, fast forward to July 2018. This is five years after Keita became president, which is a full term in Mali. Of course, President Keita won with more than 67% of the vote. At this particular time, violence continued to plague the north and east of the country. Certain parts of Mali's northern and central regions were inaccessible to candidates during the campaigns and the opposition leader was actually kidnapped there were several polling stations where people couldn't vote due to threats or kidnappings of voters and the polling station staff. Can you imagine? And when election results are delegitimized or they seem fraudulent or just not real, I think that is something that really contributes to tensions in the country because first of all, it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. Since Keita won the re-election in August 2018, political tensions have grown, and opposition parties are saying that the elections were tainted by corruption. The June 5th movement, led by a cohort of different leaders, started, as the name suggests, on June 5th.
1: The practice here, um, in more I think, friction from this, we need to look at it in terms of. Uh, uh, uh. Like a timeline, right? But I will start with the current triggers, and then it's important always to take a step back. Otherwise, we tend to forget the overall kind of a background behind uh, the tensions. The recent tensions that um, that triggered, you know, the what others describe as a coup, but what others support to be a resignation of the president started following um, the results of the uh, parliamentary elections which were contested, not all of it, but for 30, 31 seats, were contested and gave the impression to a groups of um, civil society actors, is a mix of civil society actors and uh, political parties who demanded that uh, the thirty seat be very annulled, be, be basically, and uh, re-balloted in, in those areas. That, that was the first element. The second element of that was also continuing kind of a deterioration within the security context particularly in the center and the teachers strike because that came at a period where the teachers spent on strike for more than let's say two months and the kids um, the children are facing quite basically what it would call a lost year however Taking that aspect of the tensions in Mali means a very important point. The government was facing subsequent protest in the preceding month and fell dialogue to peace um t- intention. His response, as well, to the um, his response, as well, to the protesters turned quite very violent. You may have read about it, where there have been killings of at least eleven. Uh, a protest, which kind of really aggravated the situation further. But this, all of this happened to a context where Mali was already battling, we'll say, a number of crises. You had, let's say, you know, the jihadism, you know, violent extremism phenomenon happening in the country. You also had uh, a, a, another aspect of it, which is a um, ethnic conflict uh, heightening. Tensions, happening as all across the country. You have growing criminality, both in the south and another part of the country, to levels that become quite very worrying. And on top of all of that, you also had the very initial stage of the crisis, which was the rebellion, which started in twenty twelve, um, in 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 twenty twelve, and it still has not been result, but rather led to a piece of court that is is whose applications are still facing some dismal dismal, uh, or negligible progress.
0: What is the main thing? or the main things that people want from the Mali government?
1: I think it's a, it's a very uh, uh, important question, uh, but also it doesn't have an easy an easy answer because the moment where we are today at the Mali, uh, that we've seen Mali has a country, you rather have what people want for the, for Mali instead of what people want from the Mali government. I mean, it, it brings a kind of very different nuance. Because today, the government, as it is or as it was, was was kind of the synonym of every single thing that failed with the political establishment in Mali or the government apparatus, basically, things that people do not want, right? So, in this kind of environment, so so, when you say what people want from the government, rather misses the point of what I want, rather one from Mali. And why I would put an emphasis on what people want from Mali instead is because we have seen that the rise of, uh, you know, uh, religious activism, the way that the imams and the preachers were able to occupy the political space was particularly based on the rhetoric for what they want for Mali rather than what they want the government exactly to uh, to do. But as you see, people tend to believe that, right, basically this is what we want for Mali and we want a government who can deliver that. It brings a completely different level of analysis and nuance that I think is very important to take into account to consider.
0: That's a really interesting way of thinking about it because even one of the possibilities for what people want for Mali could be that people just don't want this government, so therefore they don't really want anything from them specifically.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I think that's what we have seen already, right? With the coup, uh, with the uh, with the event that happened, um, so with the military taking over. you have actually seen people going in the street to celebrate the fall of the government of the regime and support the military takeover in a full democratic system that is almost unimaginable. But what does exactly all that means if it does not meet people's demands or vision or what exactly what it aspires to, to the, for the country?
0: I think that one issue that Mali has is that it doesn't necessarily have a national identity that ties everyone to each other. In October 2019, protests in Mali had thousands demanding that French troops leave the country in addition to the UN military force. One journalist even tweeted earlier this year, we marched for them to leave and now they send 600 more. Let's walk again and again. This means that the Malian people are not ready to give up until the French are out of their country. One thing that I've been wondering a lot is about what is the role of outside forces and in particular Western countries such as France? First,
1: France has, has been uh, a privileged partner for Malin, for the Malian government since independence, not just because of its um, uh, colonial links uh, with Mali, uh, but also you have the Francophonie, you had other bilateral and multilateral uh, uh, organisms where. Uh, France's opinion in Mali remain quite very uh, important. Um, That's the reality of the situation. But however, we've seen so far that uh, the position of France adopted in Mali has been first and foremost a position where uh, it tries to um, at least uh, uh, publicly uh, support uh, the government decision or actions when it comes to um addressing the uh security challenges uh and the social challenges we both have both soft security and hard security programs in Mali, we need also need to kind of uh, put French uh, intervention in Mali within context that context again I've mentioned already about the uh the colonial uh, uh, colonial links and privilege relations but also this is a moment where more and more youth in Mali, growing up see that being a French, former French colony or continuing to have privileged relationship with France has not really worked out for the country. And they, do, they come to this conclusion by drawing parallels with a lot of Anglophone countries, not necessarily because all Anglophone countries are prospering, but it's always because of that taste of, of the other right that taste of the different of what we see happening differently in other um, uh, settings a french rule today has been it has um, you know a large military uh, presence in the region did not discover for mali but also from um uh, uh, for the wider GFA Sahel region It's very important though to highlight that french intervention in mali in 20 uh, uh, 2013 helped avoid the total collapse of the Mali of the Malian state and Mali has as a nation. That was through Operation Serval, which really stopped um, uh, violent extremist advance suffered and protected what was left of the what was left of the Mali has a you know as the as a country and I mean it's sort of state institution. However the situation has deteriorated further from there to a level that is even much um, is even much more dangerous now than it was during the French in- diversion. It will be not accurate to blame um, the French for um, uh, for for that, given the fact that they are in Mali with the support of the Malian authorities. However there is some decision with collectively that could have been taken to maybe potentially avoid, uh, the situation from, uh, from deteriorating from further. But again, the intervention of France and other international partners needs to be seen within a support, uh, framework. I, I, I tend to believe that Sonia, we are in the 21st century and it's about time we stop blaming others for our own problems. denies the, the colonial le- le- legacy. It was a crime against, uh, against humanity and reparations questions need to be taken very seriously. However, since independence, we understand the situation was much more quite very dire, like the political environment, the geopolitical environment globally was not favorable. It's also about time actually we take matters in our own hands, that we actually understand that right, we need to build a united front. The problem with, with, uh, with a lot of the argument when it comes to uh, 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 this is that by continuously forging that narrative that well, our, all our problems Jew by X and X and X. We are preventing ourselves from taking ownership from, from our own contribution to the situation. And I think for me that is that is the crime we're committing, not just to our generation, but also to for future to, to future against future generations to come. We are in a situation here today in Mali where we know, for instance, the corruption the mal-governance, right, the teacher strike, the inter-ethnic conflict in the center and other parts of, of the country are based on endogenous problems and have very local roots and the solution to them still remain local and not international. This is some of the areas where we can address Now we don't need to blame others for this situation being aggravated. The thing is that the problems beyond a lot of African countries today, it's not just about, you know, uh, uh, are quite very uh, uh, systemic. uh, Because when a system does not function properly for everyone, the product will not work for everyone.
0: ECOWAS is the economic community of West African states, and it's basically a group of 15 countries located in West Africa. So, what ECOWAS does is they try to help encourage integration across West Africa, and they also exist as a peacekeeping force, and that's exactly what they came to do in Mali. In June 2020, ECOWAS calls on Ibrahim Boubacar. Cater to rerun the parliamentary elections amid protests. ECOWAS imposed sanctions on Mali and demanded that the coup leaders hand power back to a civilian administration and in early October it did so. So do you feel as though ECOWAS coming into Mali and trying to bring about peace actually helps the tensions?
1: So on the, on that Ecowas element, you know Ecowas is, first and foremost is a is a very important player in a political uh, uh, whether it's political, or military, or security crisis of any of its member state. You know it's a fifteen uh, member strong member um, block. Um, them trying to come to Mali, they're they're the first one first and foremost to kind of act in Mali to to be on, which is quite very commendable to start with. However, the way discussions uh, uh, evolved, or the way the situation unfolded, it's fair to say that both Ecowas and the Malian government were very slow to recognize the magnitude of the issue at hand, or the severity of the situation. Basically, and it's basically, basically, their assessment did a little bit fall short of potential how potentially. Uh, uh, are potentially damaging uh, the fallback from any miscalculation um, uh, might have been. ECOWAS trying to come to Mahal to resolve the problem is very well appreciated and initiated as well. Uh, it's very well appreciated and uh, as as initiative, both from the general population as well as um, the uh, the uh, the uh, the international community. However, it's when ECOWAS position and that of the population differ, the that then it becomes a, pro, a, a problem. We have already seen that when ECOWAS, for instance, tried to reinstate or ask for the for the deposed for president to return, what the population were like, well, we cannot, right? We cannot, re- we don't really want that again. That will be rather a factor that will inflame or create more crisis rather than solution. So in that sense, ECOWAS, intervention thought being initially appreciated now is backfiring backfiring in a sense that he has the potential to be uh to fill the crisis a lot more than resolving at the moment and that's not because uh of traditionally that's what echo has done echo played a key role for instance in resolving the mali crisis in 2012 and, and you know, with another coup that also happened during that, um, following those crisis, in striking number of deals as well that helped you know, uh, support and mobilize international uh, support for Mali. However, if the sanctions that Epoch- ECOWAS has not imposed, has now not imposed, a sanction that has now taken on Mali, and the other measures of maximum pressure to return uh you know right away to constitutional order that was being decried at the moment had factor for potential and greater instability. And that's particularly uh, uh based on two elements. Uh, the first element is that you have just had a political crisis where that was characterized by a complete uh, breakdown of trust between the the governing authorities and the governed. The second element is that you had in the light of all of this. A situation where the entire establishment, whether it's from a security, political, or social uh, 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 le- level, are facing dramatic and unprecedented crises that are trying to actually remake the entire fabric of a nation as a whole. So those two elements can combine. Are based an assessment that people now say right. Echo was told does not to some extent um, share the values or the perception that uh, people are actually trying to, you know, to, to bring a degree of change that they wish to to have for themselves and for the for the future of the children. <laughs> And you may recall that ECOWAS threatened a military action, although some head of state actually advised against it. And the decision to finally drop that off the list was appreciated, Um, but still you still have sanction, and ECOWAS still remain on the position to have a return to a civilian um, president and a civilian prime minister within 12, and in transition within uh, 12 months. All of this, again, ECOWAS's position needs to be understood within the framework that it has a charter. It has some principle in good governance and democracy. And is basically doing the textbook approach, which is normally what any other entity will do when you have an unconstitutional an change of president. But the Marlin case requires more attention and careful analysis, particularly in the sense that we are sitting here. This is the, Mali has had, um, you know, um, since Mali has had so far four coup d'etats, if we consider this one has a coup, Mali has been as, as at least so far four coup d'etats. And I've had, how many president, like two, uh, sorry, five president and four coup d'etats. I think Sonia, that really draws very clearly, clearly that something is not working here. Mm-hmm.
0: So in July 2020, attempts to mediate by ECOWAS between the government and opposition didn't really do anything. And there are still protests going on against corruption and the economic insecurity and also just all the fighting that's happening in the country. The lack of control that Keita has over tensions in the country is one of the reasons why people are so tired of him. Protesters even took over the presidential villa and this is the sound of people jumping in the pool, living their best life. The West Africa bloc actually failed to persuade the leaders of the coup to hand over power to civilian government. So the international powers are shaken a little bit because they're scared that with all of the conflicts going on in Mali, all of the money that they've spent in containing militants and stopping violence would go to waste. There's also a fear that the instability in Mali could see a lot more people being displaced, which means more potential migrants for European countries. And of course, they don't like having African migrants. I had this conversation with Mokhtar in early September. Since then, more things have happened in Mali. Number one, there is a new interim president. Number two, elections are set to be held after an 18 month transition period. Even though there will be a civilian government, a lot of people feel like this won't actually lead to any change. And I've seen this question come up quite a lot since the start of the coup this time where people are wondering, is there actually going to be any difference? Or is it going to be the same thing where, again, it's an election, then people being unhappy and then a coup and then an election and then people being unhappy and then a coup and then an election and then people being unhappy and then a coup. and then uh, Do you know what I mean? So that's why a lot of people are quite skeptical and are wondering, what is it that will actually make a massive difference to Mali? Number three, there have been more attacks and more violence in different parts of the country. Number four. Most recently, Amadou Tamani Toure died on November 10th in Turkey. Earlier I told you about how the coup in 1991 came after 23 years of dictatorship. Well, Amadou was the leader of that coup and he was also president from 2002. Some people do think that there was a dash of fraud in him winning in 2002 but yeah he became president and he was re-elected in 2007 before being removed by a coup in 2012 so like i was saying there is that pattern in mali even with leaders that have somewhat been celebrated sometimes they just get kicked out by a coup and i think that this is a really really interesting time in africa where people are seeing the emergence, or not even necessarily the emergence, but they're hearing more about the kind of revolutionary spirit that is there. And I'm sure that different African leaders are shaking, and that's why ECOWAS was taking so much action against Mali.
1: The key to change in Mali is, uh, I would like to just, or I would like to put one thing, but I'm tempted to, uh, to give two. Um, first and foremost, we need a change of minds. And secondly, we need a change of hearts. Change of mind in what way? If I can explain, Sonia, is that the coup we've seen here in Mali, the the military takeover, brought about an immediate change in leadership in the country. What the military uh, takeovers have not changed immediately in Mali uh, is the behaviors that created the conditions for the military takeover and for the crisis in the first place. As we know, behaviors takes time to learn, to become, you know, habits. And then this habit will take time for practice to become finally a culture. So that is very important, and that's something that doesn't happen overnight. In 2012, when we had the crisis and um, um, and then the the uh, uh, the coup, it raised a lot of hopes for change. But here we are, eight years down the line, we have another military um takeover. <laughs> That's what I meant about we need first a change of mind because we need those be behaviors to, uh, to be fixed. If we do not do that, the likelihood of a relapse into another situation like this is much greater because we're trying here to fix a behavior, without uh, with a situation, without fixing the ideas and beliefs that drive the situations. The second element that I thought we needed for change in, 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 in Mali, the change of heart, as I mentioned earlier. Change of heart in a sense that this is, a, this is a, a country that has been tested very vigorously, that has gone through a succession of crises, And I would like to say since 2006, a country that was basically dangling Right between various mechanisms, but always, or the majority, the poor population have always been subjected to a degree of of a uh, to a degree of her community violence, either objective or subjective, in one way or 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 the other, that it impacted generations. This country needs to reconcile with itself first, to reconcile my hearts between the different communities because the very social fabric of the country is threatened. You've seen communities that were that were living peacefully, you know, in harmony in the past, not taking arms against each other. And you, Sonia, you notice, you may notice it very very well, it takes years to build trust but second, to break them. And I think that's why I think Marlin needs two things, to, to change, change of mind, for the first element I just mentioned, and the change of heart for the second element I mentioned.
0: If we were to change behaviours and minds, like what are the things that should happen?
1: The, the answer is very still systemic. Uh, systemic in a sense that we need a system a system in Mali that understand that nobody is born a criminal, that a criminal is made in the process of a person interaction with his or her social, political, economic, and security environment. We need a system that provides equal opportunities and affirmative action. Because we have to understand, for instance, that northern Mali. Has been subjected to institutional negligence since independence. And that's a nationwide um, crime that needs to be kind of uh, resolved. That we need to fix it, like that in, a, in affirmative action. We need a system in Mali that also understands that someone terrorist hits someone freedom fighter and that we need to get to tap into understand both worlds and create a dialogue in a way that they can understand each other, they can speak to each other in not violent ways. For me, to be able to achieve this change of uh, behaviours, this is the answer really lies in the system.
0: The road to steady and reliable leadership seems a long way away. I wondered what Mokta's dreams were for the future of Mali. What would you like Mali to look like in 10 or maybe 20 years?
1: I would like Mali to look like um, a country where where people will not have to um, first and foremost migrate uh, where they feel they can reach their full put- potential within their own borders um, and also a space where where women and young girls are provided or empowered uh, in an, in an environment where they can reach their full potential in the Sahel and Mali included is one of the worst place on earth to be a woman and but the rule is quite very catalytic and in in, in our societies. So having that kind of environment will be quite very a game changer for a lot of, um, for, for the Malian society. Third, um, I'd like to be Mali like to be a country that is able to address its own problems without external intervention. I think that's the dream of every single family within our notion of, of the African family, Sonia where you're able to address <laughs> your own issues um, in, 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 internally. But more importantly, a country that would not need anymore to fight any wars internally or externally.
0: What is the attitude of the youth towards the Mali government? And apart from the government, everything that's happening in Mali...
1: The youth in a general composition at, 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 at today um, do not are very much growing much and much more aware of their, their, um, their power, which is very, very important, of their ability to change agenda, which is quite very important as well. If you look at, for instance, uh, the protesters uh, today, first and foremost, look at the Mali population. We have more than um, 75% of the population, which is below the age of 35. That's quite massive. That means that you have 75% of your male power uh, under the age of um, uh, um, 35. So you have when you have the population, you know, growing consistently and more aware of the ability to support or to bring change, to bring about change in in a country. is a phenomenal thing. It's a thing we should all welcome. But of course, um, as we have seen so far, the youth were the driving force of the protest, right? The driving force of the protests in, 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 in Mali. The driving force of the recruitment we've seen both in the army and malicious and violent extremist group. So you can the same way we can see the disagreement across, uh, you know, the politicians, and the youth. you also see the same disagreement uh, within the youth group because youth are not obviously a homogeneous group. But if there were a homogeneous group, we will see we will see um, youth heading towards one section and not just you know going to different um, di- uh, different groups. In uh, in Mali, so the position of youth in here is pra- uh, pra- uh, primarily in that in that it's very clear. They make the voice very clear that they want something very different from what is currently being offered by the that was currently offered by the previous regime, but also what the ECOWAS proposes. Of course, the movement does not represent all youth in Mali, but it's fair to say that the majority of youth in mali today feel a lot more that things could be a lot better and they're no longer willing to sit down and watch and wait for um you know for the regular uh, for the elections to come for <laughs> things to change i think that um, that's something also well, both echo Wars and and international community will come to will, will uh, will 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 need to come to that harsh reality is that uh, the time where the youth were also willing to wait until uh, elections until the term finishes for one prison for change to happen, particularly in areas that such as Mali, a country like Mali that are going through multidimensional crisis is no longer uh, can no longer be taken for granted.
0: to recommend some action for listeners to take or for something something that we can do as young Africans um, what would you say
1: yeah, young Africans I would first and foremost say uh, we have we have we have an, an old African prophet uh, that says that um, that knowing uh, about knowing about um, Knowing how to climb a tree, knowing how to play a football, knowing how to play guitar are all very important. But knowing yourself should be the first of any knowledge. I'll say, first and foremost, let's try to invest our time and energy and try to know ourselves a lot more. Once we know from there, then the rest will follow.